So as you can see on the screen, the abomination of desolation, that's the peculiar event that I want to address tonight. And if you've been with us at all for any number of years, you've heard me teach on Matthew 24, on Daniel chapter 9 and 12, all the way through Daniel, of course, um, and the book of Revelation. And, and uh, you're probably very familiar with the exegesis of those passages. And uh, as you know, we're actually in the, at the end of our Bible survey, uh, just trying to do some uh, kind of an overview of eschatology and hitting some of the, the major events in all of that. So I've got to end somewhere with all of this, and so I think we're going to end tonight on the abomination of desolation. If I accidentally say the AOD, abomination of desolation, it's because I use that through all my notes, so I didn't have to keep writing all of that down. So if you see here AOD, just roll with it, okay? Just roll with it. So yeah. So what we're going to do is, uh, it was brought up by Jesus, uh, as you can see on the screen, in Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 15. So we want to look at how he um, uh, provides and defines some of the events that uh, surround it. And then we want to look at the details that Daniel gives regarding it in, verse, or in Daniel chapter 9 and then Daniel chapter 12. And then I'm, I intend to refute the idea that uh, the abomination of desolation occurred in 70 AD. Uh, I do not like that uh, interpretation at all. And we'll look at that. And then that will lead us to the conclusion that this event takes place yet in the future. It has not happened. Uh, we're, I'm not, I don't want to say we're looking forward to it. Um, in one sense, but we're ready for it all to get over with. So last week, uh, what we were doing is we were looking at how Matthew 24, uh, the sequence of events there, uh, paralleled very nicely with Revelation chapter 6. And in Matthew 24, Jesus provides this rather simple outline, we might say, of eschatology. Uh, if you were to ask Jesus, how does it all happen in the end? And he said, well, it'll start with uh, the beginning of sorrows. Uh, then at the end of that beginning of sorrows, there will be the abomination of desolation, which will then lead into the great tribulation. And that will be terminated by, the, by my coming, when I terminate the bad guy. Aren't you excited for that? Uh, Jesus is the terminator. And so regarding the abomination of desolation, this is what Jesus said in the text. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, other translations, I think, do a better job of putting that all together. Actually, what I should have done is put it all on the screen for you because we're going to talk about some of the other things that Jesus mentioned. So let me read that to you. So again, Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, whoever reads, let him understand. That's another way to render that. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, 
But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Those are all important details as we try to figure out, uh, or rather how to interpret all of this. So the question is, what is the abomination of desolation? Um, I believe that out of necessity, we have to answer this question uh, because Jesus says that we should understand it and he tells us where to gather our information from, doesn't he? Let him who reads understand. He's pointing us to Daniel and then he says, understand. Now, if you have a red letter Bible, the uh, let him who reads, make sure he understands it's in black. And so some scholars have, have said that this was a note that was inserted uh, by Matthew and Luke and Mark. Uh, either way, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we should follow it. Amen? We should follow it. Yeah. So it was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So we're going to have to go to Daniel. Now, before I turn to the, the passage of Daniel that talks about the abomination of desolation, the context has, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, uh, Daniel has a copy of the book of Jeremiah, or at least some of it. And he's been reading through it. And he's discovered that in the prophecies of Jeremiah that God had appointed Israel 70 years in captivity. And he realized through the, the numbers in, in Jeremiah that those, that time was coming to an end. And so what he does is he puts himself to prayer and he begins to repent for his own sins, for the sins of the nation. It's, it's a beautiful prayer, very humble. And then his prayer essentially is interrupted by Gabriel the angel, who has come to deliver to him this prophecy. Okay? And in this prophecy, uh, among other things, is this prediction about the abomination of desolation. But notice what Gabriel says to Daniel. It's almost identical to what Jesus says to his disciples. Consider the matter and understand the vision. Know, therefore, and understand. Daniel 9, 23 and 25. So what I'm about to tell you, Daniel, you need to understand it. So pay attention. I think that's important. Know and understand the events in all of this. Okay. Now, uh, you're probably uh, potentially aware of the fact that regarding the abomination of desolation, there are all kinds of uh, disagreements surrounding it. And when I read some of the, the alternative interpretations, it really makes me scratch my head because when you follow, excuse me, the details given in Matthew 24, in Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 12, I don't see where they've come to these alternate interpretations. I don't think the text can, would lead us to anything else uh, unless you have a, a, a theology that you've embraced uh, that, you, that the text just can't allow, you can't allow the text to speak for itself. Uh, and maybe I'm a simpleton, but I think the text needs to speak for itself. So in, back in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus reveals some details about the AOD that we should pay attention to and then add them to Daniel's details. So in, in what Jesus says here is important. He said that the abomination of desolation, it can, it can and will be seen. It can and will be seen. 
it's abominable, that is, it's detestable, it's sacrilegious, all right? It will make desolate or destroy empty things. And an important statement here that he makes is it will stand in the holy place. That's a very specific location. It will stand in the holy place. And then he says that Daniel spoke of it. So let's look at Daniel. This is what Daniel says. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, in the context, the many is Israel, the Jews. In fact, I was reading... uh, Maybe you'll find this interesting. The Essenes, who are the ones we believe wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they sometimes recorded this word for many, uh, it was always used to describe secular Jew, or believing Jews living in a secular society. Very interesting. Anyway, then he, we'll talk about who he is later, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So if we break this down like we did Jesus' talk there, the AOD is preceded by the establishment of a seven-year covenant. Seven-year covenant. That's pretty specific, isn't it? I mean, if you predict a future event, and you say that it's preceded by a covenant, what will you look for first? A covenant. So what you'll be looking for. The AOD occurs halfway into the covenant, and desolations follow the abomination of desolation until the end, and then destruction comes upon the desolator. Okay? Um, the text says that the covenant will be made for one week. That always creates a challenge uh, for people when they interpret uh, a text like this. The Hebrew word literally means seven. The Hebrew word is Shabua, seven. Okay. From the context, the rest of Daniel, along with details that we gather from Revelation, it has to be interpreted as seven years. Context determines if it's days or years, and here it has to be years. Another place that it's said or used that way is in Genesis where uh, Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. He woke up the next morning, and it was Leah that was with him. Uh, Laban was just as much a rascal as Jacob, okay? So Jacob went to Laban and said, what is this you have done? I worked seven years for Rachel, but you gave me Leah. And he says, it's not our custom to give the younger daughter away before the older. And then Laban says, fulfill Rachel's week also. And what does he mean? Seven more years, okay? Uh, Same word, Shabuah. Laban uses it uh, to refer to seven years. It can mean seven days as well, but here it has to mean seven years. If you apply seven days to the whole prophecy of Daniel 9, you will come up with nothing as far as the prediction. If you use years as Daniel or Gabriel intended, you will come up with some very amazing fulfillments, uh, which I don't have time for tonight, okay? So verse 24 should be interpreted as uh, 77-year periods rather than 77-day weeks, okay? I don't want to get too much into that. But in the middle of the week, that is this covenant, we have the abomination of desolation, okay? So weeks are years here. Also, 
the New King James, uh, as well as the King James, translates the last part of verse 27 as, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, it can be translated another way, and all modern translations do, and they've all come to a, uh, a consistent uh, way of translating that. The modern translations talk about the end being poured out on the desolator himself, meaning that the person who caused the abomination of desolation will himself be destroyed in the end. Okay? So an alternative translation would be like this, and the destruction that has been determined will be poured out on the desolator. Okay, uh, that actually agree, agrees very nicely with Revelation 19.20 when Jesus returns and, uh, and defeats Antichrist and he's there uh, in the lake of fire forever and ever. So just like Matthew 24, Daniel 9.27 has specific events okay, preceding the abomination of desolation. Okay, they both have the abomination of desolation itself, and they both have specific events that follow it. Okay. But Daniel also provides somewhat of a timestamp. He says that a seven-year covenant will be established, but in the middle of the seven years, the abomination of desolation will occur, bringing an end to sacrifice in the temple. Okay, so halfway into seven years is how long? Three and a half years. Okay, that's interesting because of what Daniel was told in Daniel 12, 11. The angel says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So 1,290 days is basically three and a half years. Okay, so according to Daniel 9, 27, from the establishment of the covenant to the abomination of desolation, there's three and a half years. And then according to Daniel 12, 11, from the abomination of desolation until the consummation or the end is three and a half years, making a total of seven years surrounding the abomination of desolation, three and a half before, three and a half after. That, by the way, is consistent all the way through Daniel and all the way through the book of Revelation. And I'll talk a little bit about that more at the end uh, as far as some of the, the computations there. Let me say all this another way. So this particular seven-year period is going to be kicked off by a seven-year covenant. The covenant is then violated and broken three and a half years later by the abomination of desolation. And then three and a half years after the abomination of desolation, the one who committed it will be destroyed. So he'll come on the scene making a covenant. Three and a half years later, he'll break the covenant. And then three and a half years after that, he will be destroyed. Okay, that's how Daniel lays that out. Now let's consider Jesus's outline in Matthew 24. He referred to the time before the abomination of desolation as the beginning of sorrows, literally birth pains, okay? And the time following the abomination of desolation as the great tribulation, which concludes with the second coming. Now, I'll bet you can guess how long the beginning of sorrows was before the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years, okay? I'll bet you can also guess how long the great tribulation will last after 
the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years for a total of seven years. That's right. Now, I've had people come to me and say, where does this whole seven-year thing come from? It's never said that in the Bible. Well, actually it has. It called it a week, and you missed it. Uh, But it also says three and a half years before the AOD and three and a half years after. And uh, most of you went to elementary school, and uh, three and a half and three and a half is seven. Okay? Uh, I don't think that's too difficult. I do believe that when you read in the English language, weak, that that can be confusing. But after you look at the the whole context and you look at history, uh, you have to conclude that that week is seven years. Yeah. So from the establishment of this covenant to the destruction of the one who made the covenant is seven years. Or from the time that Jesus breaks the first seal until he returns to the earth to destroy the desolator is seven years. Okay, seven years. So there is a final seven-year period coming that will bring to an end the current age that we live in. It will be initiated in heaven. Remember, we've talked about what's the point of eschatology? It's to reveal Christ as the sovereign Lord of the end. He's in control of it. So when John was there in heaven weeping because no one was found worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, When Jesus came, it demonstrated not only is he worthy, but he controls the beginning of it to the end. As he held that scroll in his hand, seven seals on it, the rider on the white horse could not appear until he broke the seal. Who's in charge? Jesus is. He is the one that initiates all of it by breaking the seals. At that time, Antichrist will be permitted to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. The first three and a half years will be just the beginning of sorrows on earth as Antichrist rules. After the initial three and a half years, he will stop the sacrifices in the temple and set up the abomination of desolation, which will break the covenant with Israel. And then for three and a half years, Antichrist will terrorize the Jews until he overpowers them, both Daniel 7.25 and Revelation 13.7 say that he will do that. He will overpower them. That period Jesus calls the Great Tribulation. And you'll remember Jesus said, if those days were not shortened, no flesh would survive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And the reason those days are shortened is because Jesus comes back and rescues them. Revelation chapter 19. Now, when we consider all of the biblical data on this particular subject, seven-year covenant, three and a half years, specific sorrows, desecration of the temple, three and a half years following, and Jesus saying that the, the desecration can be seen and it will be seen in the holy place, followed by a great tribulation with no, he says, no parallel in history, and is all concluded by the second coming of Christ. Given all those facts, this is yet to happen. It's yet to happen, okay? But in spite of all the data that we have, some insist that all of this, except for the second coming, occurred back in 70 AD when Titus the Roman laid siege to Jerusalem, killing thousands of Jews and 
enslaving the rest. The, the position is called partial preterism, partial preterism. And the term simply means past. So in, when we look at, when they look rather at the book of Revelation, uh, from a preterist perspective, they say that it's all fulfilled. It's all past, it's all done with, uh, except for uh, the second coming of Christ. Now I wanna talk about that. Uh, perhaps you've heard some pastor uh, teaching it on the radio. Um, maybe you hold that position. I want to tell you why I reject it. Um, how many of you guys have read Josephus? He's the reason I reject it, by the way. Uh, he's the only eyewitness on the ground at the time that recorded information for us. Uh, but it's, it's what he, the information he provided as we look at the biblical evidence. So first, Daniel said that the one who would commit the abomination of desolation would make a covenant with Israel three and a half years beforehand. There was no covenant between Titus and Israel. None. Okay. No covenant was made. Uh, there was no covenant made with Rome and Israel. But we're told that there will be a covenant made between Israel and the ones who, the one rather who causes the abomination of desolation. You can't have any of it until you have a covenant, otherwise Daniel 9.27 is an error. Okay? Second, Jesus said that the abomination of desolation can be seen standing in the holy place. Well, to see it standing in the holy place, you would have to be either standing in the holy place yourself, uh, or standing on the wall that surrounds the holy place, or watching it live stream uh, from a device as someone else was getting the footage or perhaps you were flying a drone in there while it was happening. Uh, but in 70 AD, there were no Jews even present in the holy place during that time, historically. Okay, why not? Because after the Romans breached the wall, they subdued the city, they killed the masses, enslaved the rest, and contrary to the orders of Titus's orders, the temple, along with the holy place, was burned. And all of that took place before the Romans offered any sacrifices. That's interesting. Yeah. Third, Jesus said that when you see the abomination of desolation, you should flee to the mountains. That would have been impossible. Why? They're all dead or enslaved. Yeah. By the time the, the preterist version of the abomination of desolation occurred, the city had already been destroyed. No one could flee by that time, well, let's do any of the things that Jesus mentioned in verse 16 through 20 of Matthew 24. It'd be impossible, okay? Fourth, in Jesus' prophecy, why didn't he mention that the city of Jerusalem would be brought under siege? Because then he could have said, because see, the Jews knew that the Romans were coming. See, the, Jews, the Romans started in the north and started attacking and conquering cities north of the Galilee. And that word got to Jerusalem weeks before and they just conquered Jewish cities as they made their way south. Actually, it was in the north where they acquired Josephus. Okay? And then Jesus could have said, when you hear about the Romans coming, flee to the mountains, instead of when you see the abomination of desolation, flee to the mountains. It was impossible to take Jesus' counsel. Yep. The implication in Matthew 24 is that the abomination of desolation will occur on a regular day when no one is expecting it. That's the implication. There will be no war, the city will feel no sense of danger until 
the abomination of desolation occurs, and then it's time to flee. Okay? Fifth, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, you see, the holy place is not some uh, general location. It's a specific area within the temple complex, even excluding the outer court excluding the outer court. One commentator says that the holy place is Jerusalem and the temple because it was all rendered holy unto the Lord. And so when the Romans entered Jerusalem with their ensigns, the the insignias and stuff of their gods and Caesar and stuff, they say that rendered the holy place desolate. They're saying that was the abomination of desolation. This makes no sense because the Romans had occupied Jerusalem at other times before this, and it was never considered an abomination. It never stopped the sacrifices, and it never required that the Jews rededicate the temple. It's a very strange commitment that he has to his eschatology. For him, it has to be that, because otherwise he has to give up on his position. Yeah, obviously when Jesus said the holy place, he was not referring to Jerusalem in general. It's a specific place inside the wall that separates the outer court from the temple itself. So the real question is, did the Romans desecrate the holy place? No, they didn't. Not with an abomination of desolation, as we see it described in the book of Daniel. You see, after the Romans subdued Jerusalem, they set up their headquarters outside the eastern gate, outside the eastern gate, so not to desecrate the Jewish temple. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. And the soldiers were also given strict orders to stay out of the temple. Also, no Roman sacrifices occurred in the holy place. All were conducted outside of the eastern gate. How do we know that? Josephus. Josephus was there with Titus. When they captured Josephus, they made Josephus Titus's personal historian and interpreter. And he stood with Titus on the Mount of Olives as the Romans sacked Jerusalem. That's crazy, isn't it? He watched it and he recorded it for us. His account is the only eyewitness account. But the preterist says that the abomination of desolation occurred when the Roman ensigns were erected outside the eastern gate and not in the holy place. To me, that makes prophecy more like horseshoes and hand grenades. It's close enough. It's close enough. But the truth is, if what happened in 70 AD is the abomination of desolation, Jesus wasn't any good at prophecy because none of the details fit. In fact, I think it's more like reading Nostradamus. If you're going to take the Bible data and cram it into uh, 70 AD, I think they're compatible with Nostradamus. Personally, that's what I, I feel. I've read Josephus' account. I've read Daniel's and I've read Jesus's. They do not fit. They do not fit. Okay. But if we insist that Jesus has perfect foreknowledge of all future events, we're going to have to say that this event just has not happened. It hasn't happened. There's been no abomination of desolation in the holy place of the Jerusalem temple. Certainly not the holy place, which Jesus said, you will see it there when it happens. Okay. Now, what happened in 70 AD may be a precursor. It may be a foreshadowing of the real event, maybe even a type of the future anti-type, but 70 AD does not fit 
the evidence that we see in Scripture. To say that the location outside the east gate, that it's essentially the same as the holy place in the temple, confuses reality. You know, if we were both Jews living in Jerusalem in the first century, and I said, hey, wait for me in the holy place, I would never find you if you were waiting outside the east gate. Okay? Yeah. So at a future time, after a new temple is built, it will be desecrated. When something other than God is worshipped there, similar to when Antiochus Epiphany entered the Jewish temple and sacrificed a pig there on the altar of burnt offering to Zeus. Now mind you, that's the first abomination of desolation described by Daniel. And if there is a foreshadowing, a true precursor or type of the last one, that's the one. He went into the temple and on the altar of burnt offering offered a pig to Zeus. We're expecting something like that to occur, okay? Something like that, and it will. It must be future. Now, something interesting, I think, to study is all of the times that the Holy Spirit makes reference to this three-and-a-half-year period uh, in this context. Take a wild guess. How many times do you think he mentions the the three-and-a-half years, both before and after? Seven times? It's more than that, actually. Here's four from Daniel. And notice in the parentheses there how the Holy Spirit refers to that. In Daniel 7.25, he says time, times, half a time. Time is a year, times is two years, half a time is half a year. I'll prove that to you later. Uh, Daniel 9.27, middle of the week. The week is seven years, so the middle is three and a half years. Daniel 12.7, time, times, half a time. And then Daniel 12.11, 1,290 days. Revelation 11.2, 42 months. Revelation 11.3, 1,260 days. Revelation 12.6, 1,260 days. Revelation 12.14, again, time, times, and half a time. And then Revelation 13.5, again, we have 42 months. How many times is that? Nine. Nine times. Now, some scholars object and say time, times, and half a time, that doesn't refer to three and a half years. Where do you get that? Well, we get it from Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 and 15. Okay? Both verses are talking about the same event, describing the same amount of time, but in those two different ways of counting. I think that's pretty clear. Okay? Yeah. Verse 6 says that it will last for 1,260 days. Verse 14 says it will last for time, times, and half a time. That is, that is the three and a half years that Antichrist oppresses the Jews in the Great Tribulation. It says that he will overpower the saints. In Daniel, they're very clearly Jews. So whenever the scriptures interpret scripture, you guys, it trumps the scholar every time. Okay, it, the scriptures are the authority. So times, time, and half a times, or half a time rather, it's three and a half years. Uh, the real change occurs when it comes to uh, which calendar should be used uh, when interpreting all this. Is it the 360-day-year calendar, the religious calendar of the Jews? Should you use that? Or should we use the modern solar calendar with 365-day years? Now, uh, I've used both, and uh, they all work. And the reason is, is because the Jews in their 360-day calendar year uh, they had to make corrections every year, every seven years. 
uh, and catch up. Because if you're only using 360 day years, you're going to fall behind real fast. Okay? And so either way you do it, uh, that's fine. But if you really want to clear things up, uh, when you're interpreting, especially Daniel 9, 23 through 27, convert everything to days, uh, and then you can interpret it. And it's, it's much more easy to work out, and the conclusions are beautiful. All right, so in conclusion, world history is winding down uh, to a final seven-year period that will be initiated by a covenant made between Israel and Antichrist. After three and a half years of sorrows, Antichrist will stop the daily sacrifice and he'll set up the abomination of desolations that can be seen in the holy place. Okay. Following the desecration of the temple, he will turn on the Jews. He'll bring about the great tribulation, which will last another three and a half years. Okay. And that period will come to an end gloriously when Christ returns to the earth and destroys the enemy of his people, Revelation chapter 19. And then as Revelation 20 reveals, uh, Christ will set up his kingdom and we will reign over the earth with him for a thousand years, just as the saints in heaven anticipated in Revelation chapter 5. Okay. Now, if you want, uh, I mentioned at the beginning, if you want the verse-by-verse -verse study through Daniel chapter 9, through Matthew 24, uh, and the book of Revelation, it's, it's all on our website, and it might even be clearer there. But there you have the abomination of desolation in a nutshell. If you don't uh, have Josephus's books, uh, I encourage you to get them. You don't have to read them straight through. Uh, you can read them topically if you want, or it, you know, at certain events or eras. He talks about many of the details in the Gospels. Well, actually, he talks about stuff way before. He talks about all of Israel's history, uh, some of it as he sees it, um, and then later into the first century. It's good stuff. It's not scripture, uh, but he is an interesting eyewitness um, of the time. So that concludes our survey of the whole Bible. Uh, what did it take us, two years? Something like that. All right, well, uh, until Shandy is back on her feet, we'll be doing the apologetics videos. I think you'll really like them. I enjoy them. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll be coming back to my verse-by-verse -verse study through the whole Old Testament, and we'll be picking it up in the Psalms. All right, fair enough? All right, we'll stand up and we'll pray. All right. Well, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. We're so glad that... Um, that we're not in control of things. And we're most certainly glad that our enemy is not in control, but he will be a pawn in the end times, and then he'll be destroyed, and uh, you will rule supreme. As Daniel 9 promises in the rest of that prophecy, that you will bring an end to sin, and you'll usher in everlasting righteousness. Oh, what a beautiful promise. We can't wait for you to do that. And so we say with John and Paul, Maranatha, Lord, come Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for my church family. I pray that as they meditate on these things, that they would be encouraged, as Paul said, that we ought to be uh, when it comes to end time stuff. And Lord, as Peter says, knowing that all of these things will take place, what manner of persons ought we to be? Lord, help us to be holy because you're holy. Help us to prepare ourselves 
for standing before you face to face to give an account of all that we've done in this life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Lord bless you guys.